This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 324, flashback to first comics as a kid. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is episode 324, where I'm taking a flashback look at some of the first comics I ever read as a kid. Um, I just think it's interesting sometimes... uh, there's some comics I remember so clearly, like the first time I read certain characters, or the first times I, I picked up certain comics, or even got them as gifts. And then there's some others I have no earthly clue where my first exposure to. Um, so today, this episode, um, trying to keep my numbering going. I know I'm the only one who cares about that stuff. So this episode is going to be a little bit shorter than normal, just kind of a quick, kind of frank discussion about some of these first exposures. Uh, so that'll be coming out on, I guess, the 3rd of December. Uh, 4th of December, we'll have our reviews episode for actually the last, uh, the, the week of last releases from November. Uh, and then sometime on the weekend, so I'm thinking probably the 5th, 6th, or 7th, we'll get another, um, non-reviews episode. Then on the 7th or 8th, we'll have another reviews episode, and then we'll kind of be caught up and back into our regular scheme. So you're going to get a lot of me over the next couple of days if you're subscribing to this uh, feed for Comic Shenanigans, uh, which you should be. I mean, come on. You should be listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher. You should be uh, rating and reviewing us all the time. You should be sending us emails at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, and you definitely should be subscribed on iTunes. Uh, so if you are a subscriber, you're going to get a lot of me over the next few days. Uh, which really, isn't that just the greatest post-Thanksgiving gift? Um, anyways, uh, so I wanted to talk about some of the, the first comics I ever remember reading, or, or, or having, or anything like that. Uh, the first one I kind of want to take a look at, um, which is kind of, it's not, not the greatest issue, but I have a lot of fun memories for this comic. Um, in a way that I don't have for a lot of others. Um, this particular comic that I'm going to talk about first, it's from DC, which might surprise some. I think this is probably one of the first comic books I ever read. Um, this is Superman number 220. I believe this is from 1969. Now, as a, as a preface to this, my dad had a couple comics that he would give me as a kid. I remember... Um, I don't even know. I don't know why, but I remember in our bathroom there was um, there was a few comics there, and one of them was Superman 220. I don't remember the rest. I don't think they were superhero related, but this one was. And uh, I read the crap out of this issue growing up. I don't know where it is anymore. I don't even think I have it. Um, I don't know where it is. I don't know whatever happened to it. All I know is that a few years ago, um, I bought it again on eBay for my dad. I think it was Father's Day or something. And I gave it to my dad. And it was just a preface to this story. Uh, my dad, when I was starting to really get into comics, um, didn't really appreciate them. He was kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you're too old for comics. And I kept going, right? So I'm, 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 I just turned 32 years old last week. So I'm still reading comics. I haven't given up yet. And I talk about them on a podcast every week. So I, I'm pretty sure comics aren't going away from me. Um, anyway, so I guess he kind of failed if he was trying to steer me away. But he always said, like, you know, oh, I, I, I only I read them as a kid, and then I stopped. Well, this is my evidence that that's not maybe the most truthful he's been. Um, this comic was published in 1969. My dad was 19 years old. So something doesn't add up, because I don't think he was a kid when he bought this. Anyways, for some reason, he kept this, and he had this issue, and then eventually I got to have it. Um, and I would read this everywhere. I would go to uh, cottages and I would bring it and it was with my small little stack of comics and I was starting to accumulate some of my own at, the, at one point, but this was probably the first comic book I remember reading. And uh, at the time, I don't think I really processed a lot of the what was going on. It's interesting, at this time, 
I also remember going to the barber shop and you know they had old comics there and I think they had issues of like Secret Wars at the time like I don't know what year it was when I would have started noticing and reading these things probably in the late 80s uh, I was born in 83 but so let's come back to the Superman comic so Superman 220 uh, if you pull it up on either um, uh, comics.org or comic book DB um, it's actually got a great cover it's the flash is running to punch Superman and Superman's vibrating out of the way and the dialogue from Superman is uh, sorry from flash is I'll prove I'm Superman by hitting you with a super punch huh I missed and then Superman responds sure because I vibrated out of your way at super speed that proves I'm the flash and then the, at the bottom it just says featuring the flash and Superman and who stole my superpowers um, which isn't actually what happened um, I love this issue it's ridiculous um, I mean it's interesting this was my first real interaction with Superman uh, definitely a first interaction with the flash and it's interesting to read it now because at the time as a kid I don't think I really processed the whole he's Barry Allen kind of thing I knew I think that Superman was Clark Kent but the only reason that matters to me is that I remember as a kid there was this um, there was this card line that DC had that had like Silver Age Modern Age Heroes and I remember I had a card for the Flash and it was Wally West and my dad was like oh is that Barry Allen and I'm like nope you're wrong dad you fool it's Barry Allen I don't know I sorry it's Wally West I don't know who this Barry Allen is when I must have read this comic with Barry Allen in it so what was I thinking um, I apparently was just a dumb kid uh, so this comic is a classic kind of I think this is one of those ones where they came up with the kind of a fun cover and then they had to kind of write a story to match it um, it's it's simplistic and it's silly basically flash our man in the flash costume wakes up and um, realizes oh wait I'm the flash I'm wearing this outfit so I gotta be the flash and he starts running around and you know I I think flash is supposed to live in Central City so I should go back to Central City and then we look at Superman waking up and in the middle of like a farmland and there's like a bull charging him and but it's he's blonde so it's obviously Barry Allen if you knew anything about comics which again as a kid as a kid I didn't really know but I knew Superman wasn't blonde um so we have you know uh Barry Allen is there and he's oh my god there's this bull charging for me I gotta get out of the way and he's realizes he's in a Superman costume so he's trying to figure out why his powers aren't there he seems to have the speed but he can't seem to pick up boulders or do anything like that and then this is what I love about Silver Age comics. Uh, he looks at his cape and he's got a pocket in it and he pulls out uh, super compressed street clothes, shoes, glasses, a wallet, all in the pocket. Uh, this is a quote. I think I can expand them by using super speed friction. They may be important. And then he finds out his identity and realizes, well, wait a minute. I don't look like Clark Kent as he looks into a pond. Um, maybe I disguise myself with makeup when I'm Clark. And then I live in Metropolis. I better go there. So he's like running. Um, he's running. He runs to Metropolis. Goes to a theatrical supply store. I love how these are always around in the 60s comics. Uh, and he walks in. And, um, and he asks for some makeup. And no one really believes that he's Superman anyway. Because he's blonde. So they're kind of like, oh, well, whatever. Uh, so he's able to expertly go. And the first time he's ever used uh, makeup. And special plastic makeup. Uh, he's able to disguise himself so perfectly as Clark Kent that Jimmy, Perry, and Lois have no idea. He's a different build. He's not in any way Clark Kent. But because he has this makeup kit uh, that he picks up at a theatrical supply uh, store, now he looks identical to Clark Kent. And so he doesn't have to worry. 
That's ridiculous. Um, that's part of what I love about old school comics. Uh, then you have the Flash is trying to figure out what's going on um, with his powers. Sorry, not the Flash. It's confusing because they're not each other's identities. Um, so we have Barry acting as Clark and kind of being told that he's a very bad journalist. And then we have Superman as, as Flash trying to figure out how to vibrate through obstacles. And so he like runs through a building and instead it just breaks through the building. Now he's invulnerable, so of course he didn't notice. Um, but it's just, again, classic kind of mistaken identity. Uh, he's trying to figure out what's going on. They're both kind of trying to figure out what's going on. They're very frustrated that nothing seems to be going right. Um, Flash, as Clark, hasn't been able to kind of nail getting his job done, being who he should be. And obviously uh, Superman as Flash is... You know, not sure what he's supposed to be doing either. Then, of course, they end up at the same park bench to each other and try to talk to each other. And what's ridiculous here is that I know that it's supposed to be dark at night, but really, the Flash doesn't notice that Superman dressed as Flash is wearing a, a, a trench coat and a fedora over top his Flash uniform, and he doesn't notice that his face is covered in a mask. It's ridiculous. Um, so they both kind of end up deciding that they should be um, the Superman as Flash is going to look around Metropolis for who he thinks is Superman, and Flash as Superman is going to look for the Flash in Central City. Uh, so he takes off his his ridiculous Clark Kent mask and goes running, um, which is just absolutely ludicrous. In the middle of this issue, um, this is something only I have in my copy. There is an ad for an issue of Superboy, which I've never read, but I always remember seeing this ad. And it was, uh, it's for Superman, Superboy 160. Uh, and it just says, What terrible deed did Superboy do to force him to leave his family, his friends, his earth forever? On sale August 19th. And it's just on the cover says, After what I did, no punishment's bad enough. I've got to exile myself, my family, my friends, my earth forever. Um, as a kid, this advertising definitely worked on me. Because I was like, What the fuck did Superboy do? Um, anyways, I move to the third part of this epic story. And uh, they end up on the same train to each other, and Flash, oh, sorry, Superman as Flash sees Clark Kent's face and realizes that their faces are the same. So they he brings him into an alley that's close to repair, uh, somewhere in the in the train area. But there's this kind of secluded area, which if you think about it, it's kind of creepy. So Flash, sorry, Superman in a Flash costume, wearing a trench coat with a fedora, brings Clark Kent into an alley. Pushes him up against the wall. Now he takes off his fedora, takes off his trench coat, so it's like he's stripping for him. Now he's dressed in his Superman costume. And he's like, why, you're the Flash, the very man I... Hey, what? And the Superman as Flash starts stripping off the Clark Kent clothes off of Flash dressed as Superman to show that he's Superman underneath. And he goes, I don't know how you found out, but you're right, I'm Superman. And... Superman Flash goes, no, you're not. You're not Superman. I am. And this is what we have on the cover, where he tries to punch him and punches the wall. And instead, we have the Flash and Superman vibrating out of the way. And they realize, wait a minute, we're in your, each other's outfits. And now their memory returns. And they recall that they're up against some sort of seed of a plant, the deadliest of the universe, and they have to stop it. And uh, the only way to do it is they had to go into this cylindrical capsule and... For some reason, they kind of switched each other's costumes, um, which is super weird because they wanted to confuse the seed, and uh, they have to figure out a way to stop this. So they realize that they don't have much longer until this menace is going to come and get them, um, so they have to change the path of the Earth. So what you usually do is that you have um, 
Superman deciding, now this is ridiculous. Stand back, Flash. I must exert more force than a million H-bombs. If you can do it, buddy, it can't... If you can't do it, buddy, it can't be done. So it says, again and again, the Metropolis Marvel hurls all his might at the ground beneath him, and his muscles strain to the utmost. I'm fused at the... Fuse the ground solid with my heat vision, so I have a firm surface to push against. Now all I have to do is stop the world. What the fuck, ladies and gentlemen? All over the Earth, the planet-rending force of the mighty Man of Steel is felt. Tremors shake every part of the globe... For a few tense seconds, the order of the cosmos is bent to the will of Superman. The Earth stands still in space, then slowly moves back in its orbit out of the path of the deadly seed. So, yeah. Because of the awesome speed of its plunge that was to have carried it to the Earth's core, the seed falls helplessly even fa- ever faster toward the sun, unable to swerve in time. And so, after Earth has been restored to its rightful motion, everything's fine. Now, shouldn't everyone be fucking dead? I'm pretty sure Sean Baby, way back in the day, made fun of a Super Friends issue, uh, um, Super Friends episode, where the Green Lantern basically shoved the Earth out of the way to stop a yellow asteroid that he decided, I can stop this. Oh, shit, it's yellow. I can't actually stop this asteroid. Better move the fucking Earth. So, Superman bashes the Earth until it's moved out of its orbit. Not a good idea. Um, ridiculous, everyone. This is a ridiculous comic. That being said, I have a huge soft spot for this comic because it was one of the first comics I ever read. So it's really hard not to have a bit of a soft spot for it. But it is not good. I mean, the art's fun. It's very of its time. I would love to have my son read this someday. Um, because, you know, it's a fun comic. Is it ridiculous? Absolutely. Is it, uh, because it's, it's not smart. It's not exactly a smartly written comic. By any stretch of the imagination, it's as I said, ludicrous. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's it's fun. It's it's definitely of that silver age. It's by it's. Uh, I t- looked up the credits on comicbookdb.com. So the writer is none other than Jim Shooter, um, which is interesting only because this is from 1969. So that means he was 18 years old. So I think you can forgive it a little bit more when you realize an 18-year-old wrote this comic. If he was even 18 at this time, he was like 17 or 18 years old. The artist is uh, the fantastic, brilliant Kurt Swan. No wonder I really fell in love with the visual of this comic because it was so, he's such an amazing artist. He had such an iconic look for Superman and his characters. So, of course, I would love a Kurt Swan issue. Um, I just want to talk about a few other kind of first comics today. Uh, not a lot. Um, it's interesting. My Spider-Man one, I don't know for sure what was the first Spider-Man comic I ever read. It might have been Amazing Spider-Man 350, uh, but it might not have been. It might have been um, an issue of... It might have actually been technically not even Amazing Spider-Man. It might have been Spider-Man 35, which was part four of Maximum Carnage, which I actually traded for with an issue of a Superman comic. Uh, which is uh, where I should, I guess, start next. Uh, so we've already talked about this particular um, uh, Superman comic, Superman 220. So let's move on to an Adventures... Of, I think it's Adventures of Superman. Let me just check this right here. So we've got Adventures of Superman uh, 442. This is from July... The cover date is July 1988. Now, I received this. I must have been five years old. It must have been Christmas 2000... Sorry, 2000. Christmas 1988. I was five years old, and I got this Adventures of Superman, and it was by a great team, actually. Uh, written by John Byrne and Jerry Ordway, pencils by An- Jerry Ordway, anchor- inks by none other than Andy Kubert. Um, it's got a uh, great kind of cover. It's got Superman looking up with disdain, saying, and this little creepy alien saying, I have stripped you of your powers, Superman, now you must face him. Um, 
Now, I remember this really well as a kid. Uh, it was a fun kind of issue with Superman uh, going up against uh, Siphon, I think is the, the name of the, the, the smaller guy, and uh, Dreadnought was the name of the, the bigger villain. Um, so I read this, um, you know, again, I was, I was five years old when I would have received it. It came out, again, cover dated in July, so it came out earlier in that year. Um, and I always dug the comic. It was a, a lot of fun to read as a kid. Now, what's interesting is that two years later, my dad, for also for Christmas, these were stocking stuffers. I mean, the comics at this time, the, the cover price was 75 cents, so they were not exactly expensive. Uh, so two years later, 1990, so I would have been turning, I would have been seven that Christmas, uh, my dad gave me another issue of Adventures of Superman. This was 469. So this is 27 issues later. Written by Dan Jurgens, penciled by Dan Jurgens. It's a great Dan Jurgens issue. It's really, I really enjoyed it. And what, what characters do you think showed up in this bloody issue? But Siphon and Dreadnought, uh, who, as you'll know, have made almost no appearances ever. Uh, they, they made their first appearance in that first comic that Dreadnought first showed up in 442, that issue I received when I was five years old. Uh, looks like, I, I guess, he was in an issue of uh, Superman that also that year. Um, and then his next appearance after that was in 1990. So for somehow, two years apart, my dad gave me a Christmas present each year in my stocking stuffer of these issues of Adventures of Superman that he picked up off a newsstand. And what are the chances that the same character will show up twice? Um, and I'm looking now just to see if those characters ever showed up again. Handful of times. Um, like, But they're, you know, of the first, I think, three appearances or... Four appearances. I had two of them, um, just by dumb luck, and that's just always made me made me laugh because as a kid, you don't everything kind of homogenizes together. So I remember as a kid, I after a while, I just always had these two issues of Adventures of Superman together. They were the only two issues of Adventures of Superman I had, so I just kind of kept them together, not realizing that they were published two years apart, and I had somehow managed to have the exact same villains. And I remember reading them at the time. I actually I would love to go back. What's nice about Comic Book DB is that you can kind of see where, you know, where if there's multiple stories or if things are connected or um, collected elsewhere or where they connect, you can kind of understand how these things all work together. Because at the time, the book was starting to become more of like a weekly drama. Um, and so I would love to go back and read some of this stuff because I remember there were certain elements that were like inner gang and I think Jimmy Olsen almost died at the end of one of the issues. Like there's a lot of stuff going on. As a kid, I was just kind of like, oh, look, Superman's going up against these, these aliens. Cool. Um, I don't know if I sounded like that. I want to believe I didn't, but I probably did. Um, what's interesting to me, or at least always, not interesting to me, but always makes me laugh looking back, is that so that Adventures of Superman um, 442, I love that issue. I loved it so much. I don't have it. I, I traded it away, of all things, and I would love to buy it at some point. If anyone has Adventures of Superman 442, as well as 400, 469, let me know. Contact me. If you ever see them, let me know. I'll buy them. Because uh, I don't actually own these anymore. I, years ago, when I was still living at home, and before I was a big collector, I remember I had a stack of comics, because I didn't have bags and boards when I was first starting to read comics. I just kind of had a stack of comics in my bookcase. I had this big kind of metal blue, painted blue bookcase, um, or bureau. No, it's a bookcase. And I had uh, inside here, I had all my comics stacked up. And so I had, like, I don't know where a lot of those comics ended up going. I don't know if a lot of them ended up getting sorted or not, or, or if they were all ended up being in bags and boards. And at some point, I, I just, I lose track in my mind, and I don't know what happened. 
Anyways, 442 is a funny story. I traded it away to a, uh, a friend of mine uh, for Spider-Man number 35, which I'd already mentioned, which was the f- part f- uh, four of Maximum Carnage. And I was like, oh my god, this looks amazing. It's got Spider-Man, Tom Lyle artwork. Like Right from the beginning, I love Tom Lyle's artwork. Uh, it was always very distinctive to me. Um, so I traded him this issue. Now, my dad at the time was working at a, a printing company. He was a, a small business owner. Uh, this was the early 90s, probably the worst time to get into that level of business. Uh, he had worked in, uh, you know, with larger companies in Canada. He worked for a company called Canadian Tire. He worked in their real estate department. But he left that that job um, for a variety of reasons and ended up going self-employed. And he took on a franchise for something called Zippy Print, uh, which to this day I still have uh, old... Um, pads left over with Zippy Print's name on it. So Zippy Print was basically a small printing press company. This is just at the time when places like Kinko's uh, were trying to were, were starting to come about and being able to do copies and etc. much cheaper than other people. And again, people weren't able to print everything at home yet. So if you wanted business cards, if businesses wanted this kind of stuff, you had to go to these printing places. So my dad ran one of them. So he knew, I, I guess I must have said, I'm going to trade this comic away can you photocopy this comic for me? So for years, I had black and white photocopy version of this entire comic. So when I think about this comic, I don't even think about it in color anymore. Because this would have been... I would have been 9 or 10 years old when I traded it away. So I'd had it for a few years. I traded it away. I don't even remember it in color. I just remember it in black and white. Um, because of my dad taking a copy of it at his printing shop. So it's just a weird... It's weird the things we remember as kids. Um, now, I'm not going to go on much longer. I think this is probably a, uh, a thing I'll talk about in, uh, in future episodes, doing other characters and other comics that were kind of my first and that meant a lot to me. Uh, one thing I will mention is, um, so again, that, that Maximum Carnage was, I think, the first time I ever started buying Spider-Man. Um, I remember that summer that Maximum Carnage came out, I bought a bunch of issues, I also bought some Marvel Tales, which to this day is amazing that I wasn't more confused because the Marvel Tales at the time was reprinting stuff from like the mid-80s and I was reading stuff for like 10 years later. Um, but, I mean, a lot of the, the first kind of comics I was writing, I was, you know, I was sorry, writing, I was reading was, you know, Spider-Man by Tom Lyle. Uh, then I remember for seeing Bagley. Um, I think I picked up Part 7 and 11 of Maximum Carnage, which were in Amazing Spider-Man. It's the, it's this weird shit that you remember from a kid. Like, that stuff I remember crystal clear, um, picking up those issues. Um, the one thing I'll, uh, I'll mention is that... So, there's some characters that I remember vividly. Like, as I said, Spider-Man, I'm not sure if I had already read 350 or when I got that as a gift. And was it before or was it afterwards in, like, a pack of other comics? I don't know. But I do remember that for one birthday, I got a package of comics, and I think it included um, Iron Man, I believe, 311 or 312, um, which was part of the Hands of the Mandarin storyline. Now, that storyline means a lot to me. It's not a good storyline. Um, it's, I mean, there's a lot of problems with it. But I remember it very vividly. For, for years, all I had ever read was that chapter, which is, I mean, seems, seems ridiculous, right? Uh, Iron Man 311, that was the issue. Uh, I had this. This was Hands of the Mandarin Part 3. This meant a lot to me as a kid. I remember this comic. It was December 1994, so I had just turned 11 years old when I got this uh, for Christmas. Uh, It was just a a really fun comic for me to read. It was written by Len Kaminsky. Um, It was penciled by Tom Morgan. And to this day, 
It took me years before. Like, I'd always remembered Iron Man, always remembered that Hands of the Mandarin storyline, but for years I had never been able to find all the chapters. I remember one time I was at Wizard World, I think Philadelphia. Uh, this might have been 2008. And I almost found all the chapters, but they didn't have one. And because I'm ridiculous, I was like, well, if I can't buy all, you know, all six or five chapters, six chapters, I'm not going to bother buying it. So a couple of years ago, or a year or so ago, they actually put into print the Hands of the Mandarin storyline, which to this day shocks me. I don't know why they published this. This was two years ago. This is 2013. And they actually published, I guess it was the, they were putting out a lot of Iron Man stuff um, around the time of Iron Man 3. And it had War Machine in it as well. So they released it as ha- Iron Man, War Machine, Hands of the Mandarin. And I just don't about shit myself when, they, when I saw that that was being announced. Like, I knew it wasn't going to be a great read and it was going to be very dated. But I didn't care. Because this was a storyline that meant a lot. Because as a kid, this was my first exposure to Iron Man. It was part three of a six-part storyline. And I didn't actually get to read the rest of it for probably till 2013. Like, because it had weird chapters here and there. So it wasn't like it was weird to find it easy to find. It had chapters in Iron Man, Force Works, and Iron, uh, sorry, War Machine. So I think it was probably about 20 years later that I finally read the full comic, but this was my first exposure to Iron Man. I think in that same pack I got an issue of Amazing Spider-Man, um, or maybe not pack, but it was, it was part of a present. Uh, I think it was issue, don't tell me, Amazing Spider-Man 396, which was called Back from the Edge Part 3 of 4. It actually made me go out and buy an issue of Spectacular Spider-Man to end the storyline. Uh, it was only years later that I would figure out that Back from the Edge, uh, as much as it was a four-part storyline, really was broken down into, you know, part one and two were kind of their own story. Part three and four were kind of their own story as well, uh, which was right at the beginning of the Clone Saga. So I kind of jumped in, and Ben Riley's not present in those issues, but we hear about him. Uh, and we it was, it's back when Spider-Man fights uh, Vulture, and it was, interesting enough, also a big reason why I love the Daredevil armored costume from the 90s is because of, of Amazing Spider-Man 396. I picked that up. It had Spider-Man and Daredevil in it, and Daredevil was wearing that costume, artwork by Mark Bagley, and uh, it was kind of dark if you read it now. Like, uh, Spider-Man is dealing with a lot of stuff, and he's going to Matt Murdock for assistance and, and guidance and what he should do because of what Matt Murdock did, which was basically, he's like, I know you're still Matt. You could say you're not Matt, but I know you're Matt. I know your, your body language. How did you do it? How did you kill off the Matt Murdock side? I think I need to kill off Parker. And uh, Daredevil was like, yeah, kill Parker. Put the, put, the, put the dirt over the grave. He's done. Just be, just be the spider, which is kind of crazy. Um, I think the issue might have been written by J.M. DeMatteis. I can't remember that. But that was kind of one of my major first exposures to Spider-Man as, as well. I mean, again, there, I had already read Maximum Carnage. That was a couple years ago or a year or so earlier. But it's interesting. You kind of got these important comics that kind of pop up. So I, I got issue of Iron Man, um, Amazing Spider-Man. And uh, I think Iron Man, the Marvel Action Hour, the short-lived TV series um, that was part of that Marvel Action Hour, I think I got the second issue of that as well. There was a a tie-in to that animated series. I think I got all those three together. And then I think also uh, around this rough time, I got from my uncle um, X-Men number 27, um, which was a great issue. I've always loved that issue. Again, nostalgia of youth but before that even i had x-men 20 now x-men 20 and i think i've talked about this on the show before so i apologize if i'm if i'm uh, kind of going over i think i actually may have mentioned this in i think episode six so i'm pretty sure you probably haven't heard this one before because um, i think way back way back when when we started this show this was over three years ago um i we had done an episode looking at kind of our top actually something that we 
don't think do anymore or only ever did the once but we were kind of going over our top five um x-men storylines and i think we also kind of mentioned some of our, our our least favorite which is something we've we haven't done since this was episode six from september 3rd 2012 um and i think in that episode i'd mentioned one of my first x-men comics so my first x-men comic i ever read was x-men number 20 and i only had it because a call co- uh, a colleague uh, a classmate of mine I didn't want it, or he had it, and he uh, he used it for like some sort of art project. So he cut pieces out of this comic, which I know it hurts me inside to even think about it. So he cut pieces of this comic out, and then I he gave it to me. So again, it was years before I actually read the entire issue because they released it in a trade paperback called uh, the, I believe the Skinning of Souls, and I was so excited when they, that came out because there's parts of this issue I'd never read because they were cut out of the freaking book. Um, again, you could tell the times of youth. Uh, this was, book was from when I, in 93, so again, I was 9 for most of that year, and then I turned 10 in November. So that was what, kind of my first major X-Men comic. And then I remember my uncle gave me X-Men 27, which came out later that year, which, uh, looking back on it, it's kind of a dark issue. It's written by Fabian Nicieza, who wrote both these issues. Um, but the uh, the art in X-Men 20 was Adam Kubert. That's right, Andy Kubert. The art in issue 27 was uh, Richard Bennett. Uh, and I loved his art on that book. Um, and that was always a big part of what the X-Men looked like to me when I kind of closed my eyes. I think around the same time, I also got an X-Men Adventures, which was uh, an adaptation of Days of Future Past, at least the first chapter from the animated series. Anyway, so that's me prattling on about some of my first comics. So we talked about some of my first Superman comics, um, or first times reading Superman, and technically The Flash as well. My first X-Men comics that I ever read. Maybe in a, in a future installment, I'll talk about the first X-Men comics I actually purchased myself, uh, and actually going into the, some of, where some of my runs with books started. Um, it's interesting with Iron Man. I read those you know, two issues I was given, and the next time I actually picked up physically an issue of Iron Man myself was Heroes Reborn issue number one. So something worked uh, in their marketing department, and that's what kind of made me branch out from just being in the X-Books. Because at that time, when that happened, I was really just reading a few ex- a handful of X-Men books, and that was it. Uh, I wasn't regularly buying anything else. But that's a future installment. If you want to email me, you can do so at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and you can also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and uh, you can look forward to our next reviews episode coming out tomorrow on Friday, the 4th of December. Bye-bye.